0: Uh, Hello, and welcome back. This is Colin Keeley.
1: And I'm Brent Sanders.
0: And we are the co-founders of Avocado, an audio publishing platform. So uh, sorry we missed last week. We have a a few different projects going on, and we're kind of busy. But we're back. We got two good topics to talk about this week. So Brent, I'll kick it off.
1: You know what? I I know we wanted to talk about that, but as you... We're going to talk about OnlyFans, right? We're going to talk about this constant (laughs) drumbeat of uh, people with capital that keep coming out, like they keep coming out of the woodwork and, you know, we are known as operators and we have relationships with people uh, who have capital and that tends to be the, the recurring thing. What can you do to disrupt OnlyFans? So I want to talk about that, but before you do, you mentioned, you know, we had a, we've had a week off. I want to just announce that I have regular childcare returning. I'm so excited because, and I, this may, may warrant its own podcast, but uh, and I really am, have probably talked about this before, but uh, we finally have an uh, an awesome, awesome, awesome nanny uh, who is, has gotten started with us and is going to be showing up every day or at least during, I think, four days a week, um, which is going to be a big relief in the Sanders household. Um, and I, I shouldn't, even, as I said before, I shouldn't even complain because my wife has been doing by far more childcare than I have. But even so, it's just the as I'm trying to do sales for one of our businesses and uh, I have my Calendly open and people can just drop things on my calendar. It's like, it's been a, it's been a true challenge for the past couple months. Also uh, finally moving into, uh, I've been living with my in-laws as, I don't know if I've disclosed that, but since I'm moving, since I moved to Cleveland, we've been found a house, but we had to do some changes to it. So uh, things are returning to normalcy in the, in the world of, of, of Brent. So I'm excited about that. Um, but yeah, we're we're talking about OnlyFans. This keep keeps coming up of people with capital that see what OnlyFans is doing, and it's, there's just this one incumbent. How do we? How do you want to sum up OnlyFans? Because I mean, everyone that I, I talk about it with, you know, it's just it's porn. That's the way they describe it, but it, it's not really what the platform is necessarily described as.
0: So OnlyFans is. Basically like a paid Instagram in its most basic iteration. And so why is everyone talking about it? It's really the big success story of COVID and like creator platforms generally. So it has been growing. The second biggest is probably Patreon or Twitch. And it's, I'd say three to four times the size in revenue. And then after that, I mean, it just destroys like Cameo or Gumroad or Substack, any of those. So it's just way, way bigger, and it's been growing. I got some numbers, but it's I think it's growing seventy-five percent month over month since March during COVID. There's uh, about half a million content creators and thirty million users. Hmm. And so, so I, I mean, I think there's always an inclination of like hey, this is you know taking off. There's clearly some market here, and so there's really no product market fit risk. It's more of an execution risk. So all these people with money. I think are looking for executors of like, Hey, just you know, go into this market and run. There's clearly something here.
1: Yeah. So there's something there, but one of the first things that you have to wonder about, it's like, what can you do differently? It's like, is there something flawed about that model? Is there, you know, if you're coming into it as a late in the stage, you, know, you can kind of learn from their mistakes, learn from what, where their gaps are it's just, it's a really simple product. It doesn't, you know, there's no iOS app. They don't have to deal with, obviously, you know, the thing you're, you're not mentioning, is a ton of erotic content. And that's, that's really, I think everybody that's talked to me about it, it's like, Hey, can, what do you think about building an only, build, let's build a only fans for X or Y. And no one really has had that good X or Y because only fans is so simple that it actually can be many things to many people. But so I, would say the- I
0: actually don't think that's going to happen. It is so synonymous with porn and everything is built around that. And so I think the brilliance of the business model is you're going against like Facebook and all the different things they own. And Facebook is never going to get into adult content. So you could start building up your network effects in this business that, you know, Facebook or Instagram or any of those others are never going to touch.
1: Right. Yeah. One of the things you have to wonder about is payments. Like, and I, I, I would imagine that's, that's sort of like one of the big things that you know people use this for. is like, you can't just sign up for a Stripe account. I don't think Stripe allows erotic content. Um, and I would imagine most of the easy sort of payment platform, I would imagine PayPal is similar. And I'm sure people have ways of getting around it, but on the level of you're going to be processing millions and actually probably hundreds of millions of dollars in transactions like they are, you better have payments locked down. I mean, you saw what happened to you know, parlor and some of these other questionable sites where, you know, if you violate these terms, they're going to just shut you off.
0: Uh, there are payment processors that target, you know, adult content sites and none of them are as good as Stripe, which is kind of the only beautiful and super easy to use payment processor out there. But so only fans kind mm. of disrupted cam sites. And so cam sites were taking 80% of earnings. And OnlyFans is only 20%. So that is viewed as kind of an amazing deal by the creators on the platform.
1: What do you know about the the ones who had the, the company that created OnlyFans? Like how did that start? Do you know the origin story?
0: I don't really. So someone from the porn industry started it, but I think it was, it was took off slightly. And then is pretty quickly purchased by like a porn magnet who's based in Chicago but he is very mysterious and I think he would be a borderline billionaire now, but I don't know anything about him. I don't know anyone that knows him either.
1: It's wild. I mean, it's, it is funny that it's always like the, you know, the advancements in technologies, you know, going back to, to adult content, it's like every advancement in technology gets like it's, it's porn debut, right? It's like the VCR came out and like completely disrupted these like theaters that were the thing in the seventies. And then, Computers come out and you have, you know, Pornhub and now it's like this mobile sort of Instagram social media thing. And it's it's like, you know, it's always this really, really. And I think so that is the attraction as I keep hearing from capital partners that, you know, people that want to fund startups, people that want to put money into as we're trying to to talk about things like avocado or some of the other businesses that we have going on. They're like, yeah, those are good. But but what about OnlyFans? Could you do something like that? And it's like, uh, I can't really get into the idea of spending and there's nothing, I'm not like a overly ethical principled person to the point where I think like porn is bad necessarily. Like it has its place. And I don't think, you know, sexuality from a broader perspective is, is like a bad thing to touch from a business perspective, but like, I don't really want to spend my time working on that. Like I, you know, if any startup you start, it's going to be, I always think of it as like, do you want to spend the next decade of your life on this? And I can't say, uh, and only fans is, is what I want to spend my time on.
0: Yeah, I don't either. I have no interest in like stumbling into the industry, but I do think there's value in like only fans with a twist. And so you're not going to win going head to head with them, but there's, it's a built out product and that there's a lot of different ways to monetize. So they the most famous creator is named Ayla. And she used to be a data scientist at a, like a crypto startup. And so she runs all this analysis all the time and she's a really good uh it's just like an essay site in a twitter account that has no adult content or anything it's like purely words and so she's been pretty interesting she's been on a number of podcasts she makes like hundred thousand dollars a month on only wow. um and just some interesting stats i don't think i've told you before so there's a really high churn rate so 50 percent churn rate every month for her which so if she takes a month off she loses half her customers very quickly and so wow. it's really, you have to become an expert on marketing and the way that they do marketing for most folks is on Reddit. And then they do like cross promotions and discovery and only fans is pretty crappy. So potentially there's an entry point there. And then they take 20%. And so the big question is like, could you do a flat rate only fans? And this has been thrown out to us a number of times And the only fans and most of the creator economy generally is kind of governed by a power law. So the top creators make the vast majority of the money. And so they're paying a bunch of money to OnlyFans, but I don't think you could do a flat rate OnlyFans. I think you would, because you couldn't push any hosting off to YouTube or other stuff uh, like you could for non-porn content. So I think the hosting fees would just kill you if you're only charging, you know, 200 a month or something like that.
1: Wow. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine losing 50% of my customers like every month. I guess it makes sense for that specific world. And so like, to your point, you have to become this <laughs> an expert at marketing and, you know, always be doing something fresh and new and different. Yeah. It's wild. So as I, as you think about, you know, only fans for X, only fans for Y, if, is, if you could, you know, have unlimited capital, is there a, an angle you would cut an angle that you would take, uh, you know, to, to try to disrupt?
0: Uh, so there's some version of only fans without porn that I think is interesting. Some kind of paid, you know, creator content that monetizes better. I think there's an opportunity there. Uh, So I just, they're never going to like Snapchat used to be associated with dick pics, but it wasn't purely dick pics ever. That was just kind of what people said about it. So they made an easy transition to the rest of the world. OnlyFans, I don't think is ever going to be able to make that transition. So I'd say Patreon is relatively close to this Mm
1: -hmm. and there's a
0: bunch of different versions of that. So i probably try to find something there. I was looking at OnlyFans, like without the site, if you could just like paid memberships or to a community of sorts and member space does that fairly well and then there's just like a ton of alternatives in explicitly in the only fan space and they all charge 10 to 30 percent none charge a flat rate and i don't think any of them are going to break out they're just gonna you know have their small market share do you have any ideas for how, how you would attack it
1: coaching uh, you know i think that would be the only other thing it's like, and I know we wanted to talk about coaching, but that that is one thought of like, in a sense, it's like a way that I think of like a Tony Robbins when I think of coaching. And that's in this one OnlyFans context of like somebody who would be able to broadcast like a daily message or be kind of like, I feel like people, certain coaches kind of live on that sort of cult of personality a little bit of you know, and this is a really broad area, but you know, what would be a non kind of a glimpse into this person's life and then message and then how they're realizing, you know, their teachings or whatever they're, they're coaching on. But that would be one only thought. And the only thing is like, I'm not aware of like what the sort of input, I'm sure that only fans creators get a ton of email and a lot of input. So it's like, I don't know if it's a great platform for, or something like coaching or if it's akin to that, but I'm just trying to think of something positive that people could do where it's like you have somebody in your life for 15, 20 minutes a day that can kind of put you on the right, right track. But on that note, I know we wanted to talk about coaching. I was curious. Have you ever, you ever had a coach? Like you've obviously you play basketball, so you have a coach, but you ever done coaching either physical or business or anything like that?
0: Uh, yeah. So most of my experience in this is in the world of sports. So you know, basketball, you get a trainer to, you know, she, tell you how to teach a shoot a basket. Like no one expects that you could shoot a basketball perfectly. It takes like years of practice to get that form down. And then weightlifting, like we had a weightlifting coach in college, and there's no expectation that you could do like Olympic lifts perfectly. And it takes a long time to train. And then with all that stuff, you end up reviewing game film and you practice. And then in the business world, like the stakes are even higher for the most part, unless you're like an NBA or something. And there isn't really that much of an equivalent like in business school we did some of it where they would film us talking or film us in a negotiation and then you'd review and be like hey colin do you know you talk like this you shouldn't talk like that or like you should fix this you know way you speak or you know you could see what you said here and see these people's re- reaction in that negotiation so next time maybe try doing that differently so I-, I wonder if there is an opportunity in this new like remote world with zoom where you should be able to like record presentations in your communication and review how effective it was and you know, people's reaction. And uh, like, I think it would be worthwhile to invest in that. I, but I haven't had a business coach outside of you know business school.
1: Yeah, I've been thinking of investing in one honestly. Like, I had a coach when I was in the process, like the last year of running my agency before I sold it. And I, at, at that stage, I was kind of like cracking a little bit, so I found somebody who. We would meet, I think, monthly and just kind of go through, you know, what's going on? What are the the things that you're thinking about? And just keeping you on track a little bit, like, almost like uh, there's a concept called rubber duck programming, where you put a rubber duck on your desk. And if you're going through a problem, you explain the problem to them. And just like the the act of you voicing, you kind of come to your, a lot of your own conclusions, not to say they didn't add value or insight or make connections or whatever else. It was less so mentorship, I would say, but it was more so like uh, how things are trending. And after I sold the business, I ended that. The company I sold it to, <laughs> the the leader of of that business was very much anti-coaching. I think he was m- way more into like, you, you either have it or you don't. And I think there are, there are two major schools of thought along those lines. of like, you're either born with it or you're not, which I cannot, I, I just can't buy into that. I just don't think that that's true, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I mean, it's, I do think that coaching is valuable. I mean, it definitely allowed me to get the business to a point where it was in a good spot to sell. And you know, finding an acquirer and going through that process and navigating it well, it was definitely through the transaction was was really vital to just to be able to spin something. You know, hey, this is what they're saying. Should I do it? Should I not? Like, you know, negotiating terms is really helpful to have somebody by your side and kind of walk through that. But in some ways, I thought of it as like almost like Business therapy, you know, it's it's somebody who has no vested interest in what's going on in your life, and you can just kind of kind of spill everything transparently, and then have them help you sort through what they're hearing, which I think is valuable. And so I'm thinking of investing in it again. I'm thinking like at this stage of my career, I mean, it's just a weird spot, right? There is no track, there is no sort of like clear. Analogous, like oh, this person did this. There's no uh, role model to really look at. That's like I want to just stay on this track and do these things. I mean, there, I, I'm, I have goals. I have been able to execute on them, but things are just starting to get a little vague as to like, is this the right move? Should I be, you know, what should you spend your time on? We have a couple of businesses going. It's like what is the, the way to balance those the best way? So it's, I'm thinking of it, and as I look at the landscape, I'm like, have total tons of dismay around like, oh, these people have no idea what they're doing. There are so many people on LinkedIn that claim to be coaches that seem to have no real uh, experience of their own, right? It's like, I even found somebody who was like right out of college and they're a coach. And it's like, how can you be a coach? It's like in basketball, like, would you trust your coach if they never played at any, you know, performative level, right? Where they, they were, you know, they played high school ball, but now they're teaching college or uh, coaching college. It's like, How could that be exactly? And I was just kind of like shocked at how anybody can really just call themselves a coach.
0: Yeah. Business is a little different. Uh, So, in a basketball context, I have a lot of friends that coach. Some are coaches in like the D League, some are coaches in all different levels of college, some work for front offices and NBA. And almost across the board, most of those people are very good skill-wise, but they don't have like the athleticism to you know Mm. be in the NBA or anything like that. So skill-wise, they're good and respectable for sure, but they just have great knowledge of the game. But in business, I almost want them to be more successful than me. Like if they weren't, I guess I would kind of question it. So in like business therapy, which I think most of it is, I think that's fine. It's more like looking at your internal thinking, but I almost would want more like uh, tactical advice or tactical feedback. And the people yeah. that would be able to give that would be more successful than you and very unlikely to be your business coaches in like the literal sense. They would be more like mentors.
1: Right. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly it. It's like, I, it's hard to find a mentor. I think that would be one thing I'd love to get set up. I, and I've never really had you know, it's, it's just, I've always been in this like different position where it's like, I haven't come through a, a big company. I haven't had any training, any formal training. I mean, I went to college, but I got a minor in business administration and a, a major in music, but I didn't really <laughs> get, you know, and you find people and gravitate towards people. And and that's kind of, uh, I think a big part of it is like you, when you work in a industry or in a, a pattern, that's like, Hey, you, you're sort of, freelancer in a sense. like You you decide to start businesses with people, you decide who you want to work with. It's a lot more informal. But I did look at this as like, I do think the business coaching and and so I'm gravitating towards one person, haven't made the decision just yet, but I'm looking forward to a talk. It's actually somebody my wife uses. And he, I think his his background is in therapy as a uh, like cognitive behavioral therapist, I believe. And Uh, he just focuses on mindset. And it's like, he, he, what I understand is like, it's not about the exact context of what you're doing. It's like, what's going through your mind and how you're thinking about it. And what are the self-limiting factors? Cause I I know like now that I have some experience under my belt of like looking back at like my prior business, I didn't want to do sales. And it's like, well, why didn't you want to do sales? It's like, well, I had people that were, you know, coming to me and I, I, you know, I've learned those lessons and it's taken a long time, but it's like, can you accelerate those lessons and get that feedback in real time? So you're not like being, not that I'm regretful, but like looking back in the real rear view being like, oh, I could have scaled that business to, you know, higher multiple or, you know, ha- had a much different outcome had I thought about it differently or, or put, uh, as, as Colin likes to say, being allergic to sales or allergic to self-promotion you know, having, being less allergic to self-promotion, would there have been a, you know, with a different mindset, just a different outcome.
0: Yeah. So if you're entering this and you start getting like business coaching or business therapy, what would success look like for you after six months or something like that?
1: That's a great question. And I think that's actually one of the first questions I would imagine they're going to want to know that. So I think A lot of the getting started, and I've heard this through my wife and seeing like what her onboarding materials were, it was a lot of like, where do you want to be? Like, what are you hoping to get out of this? In my mind, it's it's not necessarily like tangible wealth or success, it's just like comfort with it. I would say I definitely let my disposition in the professional world, like dictate my feeling of value in the personal world, which I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of people identify, I was talking to my dad about this he retired a couple years back and he's just like he's not bummed out he had a great career he was you know uh, uh, well-regarded in his industry but it's like once you're retired he doesn't have that like hey i you know i'm doing this this or the other thing it's like people kind of are a little bit more dismissive of you or like oh well that's nice you get to play golf or whatever and he he just kind of felt this like lessened you know you're a second-class citizen in a certain circle uh, when you you know, going around meeting new people back in the day when we used to meet new people. But, uh, you know, I think that's probably the first biggest thing I'd like to get under control is like, get the, the feeling of value around, you know, what I'm doing to be diso- disassociated with, you know, the value I have personally, or just e- even in my life, which, you know, I think a lot of that was early in my career. I was making a bunch of money, that, uh, you know, other people in, in my age group or in my sort of cohort in school, they weren't doing because they didn't start their own business. They wouldn't get a job. But then, you know, uh, I, I associate that like, oh, I'm doing so much better, but then things equalize, right? Like things start to uh, catch up with you.
0: So if, you know, these businesses start to take off, do you feel like you'd still want a business coach or do you feel like no. you're,
1: no. No, and that's, that, well, that's, and that's the flaw of it, right? <laughs> that's like the complete, that's why I know it's It's like, oh man, you got to get your head checked. And so like, it could just go to therapy. It probably would be, uh, you know, just all the same, maybe. But I, I do think that this is like a business issue or it's related to this fear that a lot of, and not to say I'm like struggling and having a really hard time, but I noticed that like, when businesses are in earlier stages, my temperament is much more like, my mood is a little more volatile. Like it's hard to see when things are working, You know, and I've seen this with tons of startups, like when things aren't working, everyone's like picking on each other and like, you need to, you know, it's just a lot of finger pointing. And when companies are going, you know, things are going really well, everyone's, you know, high-fiving and slapping each other on the back. And it's just very similar to sports. Like when you have a team that's on a losing streak, like people start pointing fingers. And if you could just, you know, score more points, do whatever, you know, do your job, then we wouldn't be in this position. It's like, it's very, very similar to that. But yeah, I think it's, I think that is the indication that I, I want to do the coaching is like, I, you can't let the, you know, success of your businesses like, otherwise entrepreneurship is just, it's not going to be a, a lasting thing. And I, and I know myself and I, I really, it, it, entrepreneurship suits me really well from a lot of other aspects, except for this one where it's like, when it, when you're not crushing it, it's like, oh, what do I need to be doing? And, and I think a lot of people have this anxiety and it may drive them from, starting their own businesses or you know, executing their own plans and having a little more control over their, their life. But it's, it, it, it comes with, with certain baggage and I'm hoping to clear that baggage.
0: So I think this is gonna become far more common in the entrepreneurial world. A lot of even forward-thinking VCs are paying for therapy, like business coaches or business therapy, however you wanna say it, for their you know, portfolio companies. I think it's kind of a no brainer. Like people are making very valuable decisions and if you can make that 1% better, 10% better, like it easily pays for itself. And uh, there's just highs and lows to weather that are really hard. And I think, you know, most people would benefit from some version of it.
1: So there's the, the school of thought that I would subscribe to. I'm a believer that people can change and people can, and, and, and so what I was saying, the, the, my acquirer, the guy I was working with that took over the, uh, the agency, he was like you know, you either have it or you don't. And as a venture investor, I think that is still very much his perspective. It's like, I, I don't think he would invest in anybody that needs therapy. <laughs> you know, it's like the, oh, that, that's a clear red flag. Like this, this person's not going to be a good, good founder in which I, you know, it's, it can't argue because his track record's really good. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, you can't argue with the numbers, but I don't want to agree with him. Right. I don't think he's right, but I, I also am like, well, there's a lot of success there. So maybe, you know, rather than trying to fix something, you just kind of move on and, and, you know, but it's, you know, when it's your own mind kind of holding you back, you have to do something about it. You can't just be like, all right, well, I'm just going to go get a day job because I know <laughs> I'd be far more miserable doing that. And just knowing how I operate and, and how I'm wired, it's like, I'm way more, you know, way more incentivized to, to work in these types of structures.
0: So there is something to that. So the best investments for VCs don't need your help. And the, you know, the companies that do need your help are the ones that are probably going to zero, or at least aren't going to return a multiple of your money. (laughs) So that's like the dirty (laughs) secret of VC is like the good companies don't need you, but your reputation is built on kind of the bad companies and how much you help folks. So that is where Uh, you're you're founder friendly and you get that reputation for being so. But it's, if you're looking purely as like an investment of your time, it's arguably not a good investment of your time because you should just, (laughs) you know, invest in the founders that don't need you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. But anyways, I think coaching is, is something I, you know, I'm, I've been exploring. I'm on the low end. It's been like mind blowing how anybody can call them a coach on the high end. It's almost, it's like right next to therapy. And to your point, I, I have seen funds. I know the builders fund they had, they have like a, a I don't know. I may misspeak psychologist or psychiatrist. I forget which one is which, but they, they have somebody who's there for sort of mental well-being and and getting the sort of mental blockages out of the way and i think there's something to that and organizationally like just getting people to work well with one another that that can also be helpful just having some sort of mediation going on but i will update you know maybe six months from now how it's going or or maybe you'll just be able to tell after you know everything just clicks into place but i i have a feeling it's just a matter of like being able to to navigate the peaks and valleys because it is that's the fun part of entrepreneurship, but it's like sort of that, that pit of despair. It's like, you need to be resilient And some, I think I have that resilience, but it's like, sometimes it feels like it shouldn't be this hard. It shouldn't have to be this hard when things aren't working, when you're going and every company goes through that, like things aren't working stage. Let's fix it. Let's change it. Like it shouldn't feel like so emotional, right? It shouldn't have like all this baggage tied to it when it's just at the end of the day, it's, it is just kind of work kind of.
0: Yeah. Just showing up every day and kind of compounding, I think is the best you could do. Keep improving. Yeah. But uh, this was good. Uh, Anything else you said?
1: Uh, No, this is it. I mean, we'll talk about our feelings next time. (laughs) I mean, mean, that's a, it's a people business. That's all I would say is like everything that you do, it's, it's people. So it's like, that would be the only other thing I would add to this is like, and it hasn't been the case, but I, I definitely knew about myself in prior experiences. Like, you know you're working with people and when your mood is fluctuating it has a, especially as a leader it has a huge impact so if you're like a moody leader no one no one want, wants to work with that guy or girl it's like that's the worst like volatile thing that you could have around
0: absolutely yeah um well on that note I, uh, yeah <laughs> uh take care everyone
1: thanks